Hello, everybody. Welcome to Lions Watch, your one-stop shop for all things England. I'm Marcus Speller. And I'm Luke Moore. This week, we're looking at Harry Kane's injury, the alternatives for England's front line, and we look at John Stone's recent form. We also travel back to England's Nadir, Euro 2016. Well, that was the worst performance I have ever seen from an England team, ever. We were totally hopeless for 90 minutes. It's another wretched night for England at a major tournament. And did you also miss a left-footed player down the left side? Yeah, but where is that player? How are we going to win this tournament as England? And England win on penalties! Welcome one and all to Lions Watch. Luke Moore, good to see you. And good to see you too. Great we, to have you here again. Since last week, we're, with you. we're a week closer to the tournament. We are a week closer to the tournament and a week closer to our... Some would say inevitable disappointment. We would not have <laughs> the negative stereotyping and the and the and the, and the trash talking in mm. here. Not today. Not on this show. Not on. We this save show. that for all our other shows. <laughs> <laughs> we certainly do. Yeah. We start with Harry Kane. Yeah. This week he picked up an injury, um, and at the time of recording, he's still down as somewhat injured. Yeah. Um, we expect uh, him to play in the cup final against Manchester City. And for some people listening, perhaps he already has done. Maybe you're listening to this yeah. um, after Sunday. Um, but the, the fact is he has been injured um, this week. He, he went off with a bit of an ankle injury. And it's a problem that has dogged him intermittently for, for a little bit of a, a time in his career. He missed 28 games throughout his, his career with ankle trouble, specifically yeah. that injury. And we know that he does pick them up every now and then. And... I might not be the only England supporter who thought, mm, yeah. if Kane wasn't at the tournament for England, that would be a bit of a problem. Yeah, it would. And um, we, again, as you've already said, but I want to kind of reiterate, we're not mm. sure how serious his injury is. He picks up these ankle injuries a lot. Um, Spurs seem to be particularly opaque when it comes to Harry Kane, specifically an injury. He seems to one minute be out for quite a long time and the next minute he mm. comes back pretty fast and... And um, so we never quite know. Obviously, it's not ideal. But to me, the nub of the issue isn't necessarily the idea that Harry Kane is injured and we're going to have in England. They're going to have to adapt or adjust if he is injured. It's about those grey area hinterland injuries mm. where the is he or isn't he fully fit yeah. that can, uh, that will have dogged England with other players in the past, mm -hmm. have dogged Spurs particularly. Champions League final against Liverpool, yep. half fit Harry Kane plays right, because right. he's seen as such a big player. So Considering he, what Lucas Moura did in the semi-final semi and exactly. Kane was in there and not him. So he is of that he's of that quality of player where, and I understand this, I'm frustrated by it, but I completely understand it from a manager's point of view where you, you, you're probably thinking, if I can get him in the team, mm -hmm. I've got to get him in the team. Yeah. And the last thing I want for England, the danger for me isn't even, I know this might sound a little bit kind of counterintuitive, but the danger for me isn't that Harry Kane's out injured. Mm. Because you adjust, you deal with that, and he won't, and it won't be the first time an international team has been successful at a tournament mm -hmm. with a key player injured, right? You know, even you know, nineteen ninety, Toto Scalacci comes in and, mm. and is top scorer at World Cup ninety yeah, without yeah. really even playing before. So yeah. these things can be adjusted. Mm. The problem is if he's in that grey area, England aren't going to be able to adjust or move mm -hmm. on, and that's going to cause us problems. And the reason it's going to cause us problems is because we have proven ourselves time and time again in mm -hmm. the past to not be able to deal with that. Yeah, and and it's such a. a an interesting one you say about those sort of uh, grey areas and injuries and 50% fit and 75% fit. We remember Beckham, of course, and 
for um, Gareth World Barry Cup. as well. As we Gareth mentioned Barry is another one, yeah. yeah. Um, but Kane, the reason why this is an interesting one to focus on is because Kane is the only really guaranteed starter, you would say, for England. I don't, I don't think anybody would have any issue with that. The, the centre-halves, one could argue, we'll come on to that as, we, as, we've, yeah. as we've mentioned. The full-backs, some people are Ben Chilwell types, some people are Luke Shaw types. Some people pick five of them in their squad. Indeed they do. <laughs> uh, right back alone. We could pick seven if we wanted. In, yeah. Again, in the midfield, you know, the, you, you think of some of these players, Raheem Sterling, Phil Foden, Mason Mount, some people wouldn't start them. You could say a majority of would. I, I think it would be madness for somebody to say I wouldn't start Kane. He's the first right. name on the team sheet. I think you're looking at if you're going to do. I mean, this is just mm-hmm. off, off the top of my head. But if you're doing a top three England players in terms of first name on the team sheet, you probably go of what you think it will be with Southgate, mm-hmm. Kane, Maguire, Mount. Probably, yeah, is what he's probably going to do. It's but Kane's possibly. certainly at the top of it. Yeah, you you would say. So the, the the chat is you know when 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 you see this injury and you and you have these kind of conversations, who's the number two? We think it's Dominic Calvert Lewin. Mm. Who's the who's the sort of second choice striker back up to Kane really? And Calvert Lewin seems to well, he's of course he's aware of that, and but he seems to kind of really um, relish that sort of ch- role, if you like, and sort of say you know if, if there's an injury to Kane, he's like, you know I'm there, I'm ready. Um, if there was a problem with Kane, and, and would it be Calvert Lewin that you would choose to come in, Luke? And yeah. also, what would you think Southgate would do? You know, you think about the style of play that England have played with. Uh, with Kane up top, he likes runners to go beyond him. We've seen that he's they've used Rashford and Sterling before. Obviously, son at club level, whereas Cavalloon's a very different type of striker to Kane. And that's the problem, isn't it? Because you're absolutely right to say that key point. That's the point I was going to make. So for me, Harry Kane is in the top two strikers in world football. Right, the other ones, Robert Lewandowski. I think we could probably all agree on that. But Kane's certainly in the conversation, and he plays in a certain way that actually what he contributes for Spurs, for example. It's actually a little bit underrepresented, particularly mm-hmm. this season. I know people know that Kane drops deep and tries to get involved. Mm-hmm. I know that he's done a bit more of that recently and there's been a lot made of how he's the role he's performed under Mourinho. But it's yielded in the Premier League alone 21 goals and 13 assists. Mm-hmm. 13 assists is a lot of assists yeah. for a player in the Premier League. It's more assists than um, Kevin De Bruyne. I know he's had an injury. It's more assists than Bruno Fernandes and it's more assists than Jack Grealish, mm-hmm. right? So that's the perspective we're mm-hmm. going on here. The thing he's arguably secondarily known for, mm-hmm. he's better than some world-class players at in the Premier League. That's yeah. the perspective. So he brings you so much above and beyond just being a striker. And you're right to bring up the key point, which I'm going to come on to now, which is the players getting beyond him. Mm. England against Poland played, Sterling on one side, Foden the other. Now, mm-hmm. Foden's not that kind of player. He mm-hmm. gives you something a little bit different. But you're right. He's picked Rashford before. He's picked Sancho. He's picked Sterling. Players that will go past Kane mm-hmm. and, and render that ability of Kane to link up play to be really effective. If you bring in Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who I don't see as being anywhere near that kind of level anyway, mm. and specifically on that particular drop-deep role, it does give you another problem. You, mm. You're starting to think about, well, are you going to play a different system entirely to accommodate the fact that you haven't got Harry Kane in it? Mm-hmm. And then that causes, again, that kind of further complicates things because that causes you a whole load of problems potentially. Yeah, so Calvert-Lewin's the number two. So if, if I mean, again, this is all a bit uh, uh, what ifs because, again, the injury to Kane, we don't know the extent, but it does get one thinking. Mm. And uh, Calvert-Lewin is that more poacher. Mm. One could say, actually, that, that some of the players that England could bring into um, the squad, the likes of Foden, even Grealish, I know at the moment he's got an injury, but actually Calvert-Lewin's style of play may lend itself to 
some of England's creative players to have someone to getting on the end of chances and, and always in there. You know, Kane was criticised by the pundits for dropping too deep against Albania, for example. In in that yeah, but it's an easy thing for pundits to complain. It about. is an easy thing to, for pundits. To complain. You're absolutely right. But I'm saying that with some of the, the the supporting acts that England have, you know, having a striker who's always in the box may not be the worst idea. It'd be unlikely if 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 Southgate was going to say go for somebody like Ollie Watkins, who perhaps has got a bit more to his game in terms of assistant than Calvert Lewin because he's hardly played; he only played against San Marino, off the top of my head. So, basically, I'm trying to steer this all the way into another sphere and say, if Kane was was injured, do you think he would turn to Jamie Vardy again? A different type of player, but I think he'd be. I think, but I think he would be. If that happened, yeah. I think he would be. Mm. It would be a dereliction of duty not to have a conversation. Yeah, for sure. Right. Oh, so you because some people yeah. say, well, hang on, Vardy's retired from international football. This is this is short termism. Well, he's also not really scored in the Premier League until last weekend. Mm. He's, he's well, he scored really, this week. Against that's what I'm West saying. He had, yeah. he had, a, he had a, last weekend. So he had a, yeah. No, um, against Thursday West night. Yeah. Thursday night. He yeah. had a, he had a, he's had a real barren sp- uh, spell. Mm-hmm. But you know um, his quality, though. Of course, and. Look, I, I think you've always got to keep tabs on that type of stuff because players can be persuaded and players mm-hmm. can... If, if if he knows he's going to play mm-hmm. every game, which is apparently why he retired in the first place, then perhaps he would be persuaded. But I'd like to answer the question in a slightly different way mm-hmm. because I want to take you back to the game that England played against Belgium. They lost 2-0 um, not that long ago. Yeah, and in Belgium. Played, in Belgium, yeah. And he played... Southgate played Mount and Grealish behind Kane mm. in a slightly different formation with three at the back. Mm-hmm. He, those two players, from memory, you'll be able to tell me if I'm wrong. You usually do. Uh, those two players from memory, Mount and Grealish, playing in front of Henderson and Rice, were mm-hmm. able to be a lot closer to Harry Kane. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, a lot more of a conducive role for someone like Calvert-Lewin to play. Yeah. Where he's a lot more a kind of typical striker. You've got the wing-backs who were... It didn't really work against Belgium because they're really good. Mm. But you've got Trippier and Chilwell who can, in theory, at least bomb forward and attack from wide positions, which which means that Calvert-Lewin's got a much better chance of flourishing. Mm-hmm. And he's also able to get on those kind of through balls, the type of through balls that Mount, if he's playing a bit further forward, and certainly Grealish can play. Mm. So you might find it could precipitate, if Kane isn't available, a switch to three at the back and that 3-4-2-1 type formation mm-hmm. they played then. Interesting. No, I like that thought. I do yeah. like that thought. Um, Gary Neville argued on Monday... Which, to remind you, by the way, <laughs> meant we lost quite comprehensively... To Belgium. To Belgium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so we just got to avoid Belgium. Oh, exciting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the, the genius, of course, was in World Cup 2018. Play them in the group so they can't knock us out exactly. straight. Yeah. And play them last. Get them in the third place. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it doesn't matter. They're rubber. Um, Gary Neville argued on Monday Night Football last month that Harry Maguire was more important than Harry Kane. And in fact... He is England's most important player because there's no one to replace him. So Neville thinks Maguire is is key uh, to this England side and there's no other replacement for him, which is an interesting thought. Maguire obviously has been a stalwart for Manchester United this season. They're in second and they are having a not a bad season, you have to say, despite yeah. what you know we maybe course, no, say about him and, and, and Solskjaer and whatnot. But using that as a as a sort of a, a, a springboard off into the the, the, the his potential partner at centre half is we look at John Stones and, and and his form of late he got sent off against Aston Villa mm. and in the last England game against Poland he made a very very silly error there was uh, memories from the UEFA Nations League against yeah. the Netherlands of course now Stones has been a good England player over the years World Cup 2018 again we go back to but there have been high profile errors we've had one recently then we see the sending off against Aston Villa which was a bit silly do you worry about John Stones yes right What's next? 
<laughs> what do we do about that? Well, do you worry about it? I'll put it back to you. Well, I, I do. Um, and, and you sort of think, again, against, against Poland, you think, well, I'd rather that happen now and you learn from it. But then we probably thought that what happened with against the Netherlands in the UEFA Nations League. Uh, Pep Guardiola was asked about John Stones in the past and he said, oh, I love this play. You know, I never want him to stop playing the way he does. Mm. So we're all aware of it and Stones will be more aware of it than, than anybody else. But I do see him and Maguire as the starting two centre-backs yeah. for England, presuming that he's going to play a back four. Even if he did play a back three, then I think they would both be in there. You could argue maybe Cody would come in and Walker might and maybe one not there. But Jones and Maguire are expected to play minutes, quite a few minutes to say the least at this tournament. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it's definitely. always argued that he needs someone next to him like a Ruben Diaz to, to carry him through the game. Do you think Harry Maguire can do that? Well, that's the problem, isn't it? I mean, the, the issue with John Stones now is, and I understand why Guardiola made those points um it was i think there were kind of two reasons for that and it was one, a little while ago yeah though, one because it was ages ago yeah and that's fine <laughs> yeah. you know i mean he's been he's in his fifth season at man city now this is mm -hmm. a long while ago now really mm -hmm. um and two he made that he made that i would argue he made that comment because he's got much more of the luxury of space to be able to make it mm -hmm. and what i mean by that is if john stones makes a, a high profile mistake it's the chances are it's going to happen in the Premier League, mm -hmm. and it's thirty-eight games in the Premier League, mm -hmm. right? And Man City, the best team, exactly, and they're the best team by quite a long way. Mm -hmm. So it's actually much easier to accommodate England. You can't do that, mm -hmm. and um, John. The reality is, I think John Stones is, a tr as I'm sure you do as well, is a brilliantly talented football player. He's great with the ball at his feet. He's a, in many ways the archetype of modern centre back. But with John Stones now, I think we need to get real. And what I mean by that is, he's twenty-six. He's got 42 England caps. Mm. Right, He's probably going to get his 50th cap all being well this year. A lot of experience. A lot of experience. And you can have all the ability in the world, but if you can't maintain your concentration without someone next to you holding your hand, you're not going to win it. You're not going to be a key part of a tournament winning mm. side, which is what we all agree, I think. Even Andy Brassley, if you push him hard enough, would agree that England should be at least aiming to win this tournament. Mm -hmm. Right? Are you going to be able to do it with someone who you can't leave for five minutes because he's might make a, 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 a terrible error? And you know... This, always, this error he made against Aston Villa will be quickly forgotten about because that's the nature of football. But at the time of recording now, it happened fairly recently. don't think you should underestimate how bad that error was. Like people say, oh, it's a yellow point five or it's an orange mm. card or whatever. That's not the point. Mm. The point is that he went out into the middle of the pitch where there was no danger, a ball he couldn't possibly win, mm. and he got himself sent off for no reason. If he does that again for England in a knockout game in the tournament, we'll be out the tournament. Mm. That's how fine the margins are. It's as simple as that. You know, so there is no, there's no, you're not surrounded by all this space and accommodation of being able to, oh, I can make the odd mm. error and it'll mm. sort itself out across the course of a season. It's fucking crunch time. And what happens when it's crunch time? Well, the pressure gets higher, which means you're much more likely to make an error. So to me, it's more about what the error represents rather than the error itself. And it is worrying because I also think there's some quite obvious shortcomings to Harry Maguire's game as well, which we've talked about. And it's mm -hmm. played things like he's quite slow on the turn. He can be a bit lumbering. Yeah, he's good at he's good positioning and he's strong and he's good in the air, but he's definitely got um, shortcomings to his game. So it's an area of real weakness for England if we're not mm -hmm. careful, I think. And I don't know what the solution is because if you go back to that Belgian game again to yeah. link it back in, three at the back, mm -hmm. Walker, Dyer and Mings, wasn't mm -hmm. it? I think so, yeah. That, uh, that was, yeah. It was, I mean, Dyer gave away a penalty at Wembley. Um, mm. against Belgium oh great just to remind you of that <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just to make you feel better so, so what do you think is the solution to the if, presuming England play four at the back yeah. um, based around the context of this conversation with Stones what do you think is the solution you think you've got to go Stones and Maguire and just cross your fingers I think that's probably it to be honest with you yeah. I think that I think 
Southgate tried a three four three, and we'll talk about that in in um, in, in future Lions Watch podcasts. Um, it didn't quite work out the way that perhaps he would have wanted. It, it, mm. it was a system that didn't yield great results in, in the UEFA Nations League the last time round. Mm. Not the one, um, of course, where we made the, the, the finals in, in, in Portugal. Um, and I think Southgate thought, that takes away something in attack a little bit. Right. And I think it's kind of like, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. So mm. we might as well have a back four and go, right, well, let's try and maybe not try and outscore them in a sort of Sir Alex Ferguson 99 Manchester United kind of way, but let's at least put a bit of pressure and almost attack from the front. I don't think that's of... the worst idea in the world. No, I don't either. I think that's I think that's it. I understand people. That's why I always joke and think, I wish England could play a 3-5-3, have an extra, the 12th yeah. man, you know, yeah. um, because that's really what you want. You want a back three to sort of shore it up, but that is to the detriment of further up the pitch. And you think, well, with attacking talent England have got, you actually don't want to starve that. So maybe play to your strengths cross your fingers, hope for the best and try and, and instill a bit of discipline yeah. and, and, and whatnot. So it's a very it's very difficult to predict England's path because of mm. um because it's twenty fourteen tournament and you come yeah. third and you it's yeah, three, exactly yeah. but it's just the, the sixteen or the thirty two you can work mm-hmm. it out a lot more easily. So mm-hmm. it's very difficult to know who England are gonna face. But I know in the second half we're gonna we get to our England's evolution point, we get to Euro twenty sixteen. Yeah. And that's that's as you've already said in the intro, the Nadir and part of the reason it's the Nadir is because everyone was frightened. And so Attack sometimes isn't the worst thing in the world. Mm. There are pundits out there and experts out there who think that it's going to be a matter this summer of, because there's been so much football played, that it's going to be a case of just keeping it tight and not making mistakes. And mm. the team who makes the fewest mistakes will win. Mm-hmm. I don't actually agree with that. Mm-hmm. I don't think we've seen a huge amount of evidence to that, to that, to that effect in recent tournaments. And I don't necessarily see why this has to be that much different, given that the players play so much football anyway, particularly at the top level. So... Maybe going forward, attacking and trying to score and, and, and setting the agenda. And to, to use the phrase Jim Campbell's used in the past on the Ramble, don't be a team that lets football happen to you. Yep. Maybe affect the change yourself. Yeah. And break off Southgate. Right, it's time to talk about England's evolution. Each week we're drilling down into a different chapter from England's recent past to understand what has shaped Southgate's side. Today we go back to Euro 2016. It's easy to forget the context of, of, of Euro 2016. We talked about uh, World Cup 2014 and the disappointment there, but there was a few little little uh, hopeful sprinklings uh, around at the time, <clears throat> even though, of course, it was disappointing. But England kept Hodgson, which... Funnily enough, a, a few of us thought that was quite a progressive move because it wasn't right. Rip that up, start, start again. again yeah. There seemed to be at least a, 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 a glance at a long-term approach mm. uh, with this. So Hodgson stayed. England qualified, winning 10 out of 10 in their group for Euro 2016. It was a very strong qualification before. 31 goals they scored in those 10 games. They had a good Switzerland side. Now, I know some of the England are expected to qualify. I understand that. But you can qualify with a bit of style. They were top scorers in qualifying. They only conceded three. There's only one side who conceded less than them or fewer. Right. Um, so one of the best defensive records. They played a number of friendlies against decent opposition around that time. I remember a one-all draw away in Italy, which, which looked quite promising. And then there was that 3-2 win against Germany. In Germany. Remember that, Luke? Yeah, I do. England, I think, were 2-0 down. Came back. Last Kane minute, Dyer goal. Yeah, Kane yeah. scored. Vardy scored a great goal and Dyer scored. And this was 
not long before the tournament. And Why gonna... don't other big teams try in friendly before <laughs> tournaments? They fooled us! Yeah. Um, but you said at the time, when, when England won that game, we all came into the students to oh, do the God. football round, and you just went, this is the last thing we need. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so and it, it proved. And it, so it proved, because yeah. they qualified very, very um, uh, impressively. They got a good win against an old foe in Germany. Hmm. And the England squad had a lot of fresh faces in. There's, there's, there was a lot of players who played then who are involved now or who we think will be involved in the Euros this summer. Carl Walker, Raheem Sterling, Kane, Henderson, Stones, Dyer, maybe, uh, Rashford. Um, it also, uh, Deli Alley and Danny Rose were, were involved in in, yeah. in that side as well. And and Kane was the main striker now. Wayne Rooney was a sort of a wide forward or, or, or in midfield. He was still involved, Wayne Rooney. Some fans thought that he shouldn't be a starter at all. He shouldn't be involved. But it showed you that Hodgson... Had to, was now transitioning. Rooney wasn't the main striker. And the changes were beginning to happen. England were now playing a 4-3-3, which was a position I think we certainly were crying out for. And, it, you know, there was it started to look and feel a little bit better. But when did good international teams start playing a 4-3-3? It was a long time before 2016. Yes. And that's the problem, isn't it? Yes, that is the and problem. And that, that feeds into the thread we've been talking about in the first two episodes. Better late than never. Well, <laughs> apparently not. <laughs> it's just pointless being better late. But we were never. really hung up on the formation for many years. I yeah, think. Gary Neville was banging the drum for a long time, wasn't he? Saying, look, he felt even in the late 90s when he was playing for England mm-hmm. that they needed an extra player in midfield and he couldn't understand why progress... I'm um, sorry, um, um, continually he couldn't understand why different England managers Hoddle was the one who did ones, that yeah didn't do it after Hoddle like yeah. um, Sven would never do it yep. um, it, Keegan obviously and it didn't happen again mm-hmm. it didn't really happen until this till this point so mm. it's slow on the uptake I don't know why it happens I, it, it didn't really do us any good anyway in this but I mean, at the same time I guess on paper it was a progressive kind of move and we were calling for it at the time I remember mm-hmm. to me tournament football is so interesting because and I mentioned this a little bit last week about and I mentioned it in the context of the order in which you play your games. Oh, yeah. And how, you know, I think if England had played the different games in a different order in 2014, it might have been different. I'm not mm-hmm. saying they would have won the tournament, but it might have been different. Yeah. Um, this case is slightly different, but it's about how you perform in the first game for mm. me. Because in the first game um, against Russia, England were really good mm-hmm. for about an hour. Yeah, they were. And I, and I remember thinking, fucking hell, yeah. they're actually good. <laughs> like yeah. this. And, and, yeah. and, and I wonder whether. People forget you. You understandably forget that because of what happened. But, but it, the confidence looked really high. That's right. And they and they only That's score one right. goal. Mm. And, if, and and they get pegged back. <laughs> it was an Eric Dyer free kick. We lest we forget Belter as well. But but I wonder if we had scored two or three. Yeah. And it, and it's not me just saying oh if no, 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 scored you're... more goals it would have been better. No, we, they should have scored right. two or three. No, but you're absolutely right. And There's it would have been different. In tournament tournament football's a funny old thing. The best team wins the league. Yeah. It's thirty eight games. Yeah. You can't hide. Yeah. That. In tournament football, there are these little moments, these sliding door moments, da 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 da, and 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 all manner of sides mm. could say this uh, in in all manner of tournaments, all different different things. So it is a fair thing to say, you know, if England had been one nil up at half time and then gone on and win two nil or three nil, which they should have done. You saw mm. what Wales did to Russia. Yeah, they should have done it. Yeah, different mood. And 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 Marcus, actually, the comparison to be made on this specific point mm. is World Cup twenty eighteen, mm. where England looked quite poor in the first game. Oh my goodness! But they score a goal. Very late on, mood and changes, and they don't look back. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So obviously, Russia uh, scored the equaliser very late on, and it feels like a defeat against Wales. Typical sort of derby match. Um, Bale scores a free kick, a little bit of an error from Hart, you could say. But they snatch a win. They go into the final game against Slovakia, and you're thinking, okay, 
We've we've managed to turn that around. You Vardy's... can't gloss over the Wales goal because that was the only injury I got out of the tournament. <laughs> the first hour and then that goal from Sterling against Wales late on was, that, uh, was... Sturridge. It was Sturridge. Sorry, yeah. what did I say? Sterling. Sterling. Yes, Sturridge. Of course, yeah. it was. You're getting your stus near... stus missed up. <laughs> Squeeze it in the near post. It wasn't Stones either. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, but Vardy obviously scored. So we got Jamie Vardy scores at a tournament, which was yeah. lovely. And then and then Sturridge, you know, mm. pokes one in and it's and it's and, and England have won it. Um, so go into the game against Slovakia and you think, all right, okay, is there a bit of feel-good factor here? And some of the familiar problems start to um, to, to, to rear their ugly heads again, mm. basically trying to break down a weaker side. Yeah. And they draw the game nil-nil. And yeah. it is a, a massive damp squib because, again, you had the, 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 the hope uh, for the game against Russia, the way they played, and it didn't quite happen. Mm-hmm. You got the character to come back against Wales and you go, right, okay, and this sort of puts a real dampener on things. But England go through and they face Iceland. And I think when Iceland, they got their last minute winner against, I think it was Austria, Gary Neville apparently punched the air and we're like, okay, great, we've got these. Mm. Um, because it should be easy pickings. But if we had won the group, we'd have played Northern Ireland, right? I believe so, yeah. yeah. And you can't imagine England losing to Northern Ireland. Wow. Yeah, having said that, <laughs> do remember that game against in Belfast. Yeah, uh, and they lost to Iceland. David Healy so, wasn't playing, yeah. so I can't imagine. Yeah, I know what you mean. But if you look at it a certain way, yeah. there's only one letter different, mate. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> um, but but the, the point is, I remember thinking to myself <laughs> about an hour into this game against Iceland, um, why was I cheering for them in the group? The yeah. wankers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, they, but they were a typical team mm. that England were going to struggle against. Looking back on it. It's the right was in the wall against Slovakia. Yeah, and it's easy to have 2020 vision in hindsight. Mm. But why are they celebrating having to play Iceland next? It's the exactly. worst case scenario for England. In the same way that uh, against Cameroon in 1990, you know, they, they would un- massively underestimate them. Mm. Gascoigne said that even. Yeah, we totally understand. But you can them. understand in 1990, knowing less about yeah, but the aside, Cameroon team. But aside who would... had beaten the world champions. True. You know, but anyway, we didn't want to go back then. But yeah. you, 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 you're right. And the, the difference was I'm Slovakia. I'm reading really the thinking you think England might be a bit arrogant. <laughs> Over the years. Yeah. With, 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 and the thing is, with no reason no. to be. Well, we've the game. Have a bit of respect. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> but if Germany are a bit arrogant, I'm not saying they are, but if they were, or fair Brazil enough. are a bit arrogant, oh, okay. It's not, it's not Cristiano Ronaldo, is no, it? Exactly, no, exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. Yeah. So so England go into this game, and, and they started with 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 Deli Alli, Eric Dyer, and Rooney in midfield, Sturridge, Kane, Sterling up front, and Walker and Rose are the fullbacks. It's an attacking side. Yeah. You can't deny. Mm, um, England is. go one nil up after four minutes. I mean, they gifted a penalty. They go one nil up after four minutes, and I remember thinking, "Brilliant! This Iceland team—they now have to come out against England and score. They—they mm. they, they can't sort of play defensively." It took them about a minute. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, and for, for that thirty seconds celebrating that goal, yeah. I remember thinking, "Oh well, we've got them now because they're yeah. going to come at us, and we've got an attack inside, and it should be fine." They, they've, they've got to come out, and they've got to score. Oh, they have done. Yeah. <laughs> that uh, so back to square one. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And and of course, not long after that, they go two one up, and and. I've never been so sure of an England result in all my life, you know, before, during a match. It got to about, I think it was 37 minutes. And I sat there with quite a few people watching and a number of people who are a little bit younger than me, my mate who was about seven years younger than me. And I turned to him and I said, this will be the score. Mm. England will lose this 2-1, maybe 3-1, maybe maybe Iceland catch him again. Mm. But England will lose this game. Mm. And I sat there with zero hope for the rest of the game, in a resigned way that I have never before or since done with England, I was so sure that, that, that even when the final whistle went, I didn't feel angry because I, I had, you know, 50 minutes or whatever, 55 minutes You'd to kind of... processed it, yeah. Exactly, I'd, I'd, I'd done yeah. it. And, and it was remarkable 
how bad that England performance was. Mm. We think about other performances, you know, the second half against Brazil in 2002, but that was against Brazil and they went and won it and blah, 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 blah. Mm. It was still poor, but, you know, but this against Iceland, you know, England have got a better side. They have better players than Iceland. There's no two ways about that. They've got time to get an equaliser. They've got, they've got the quality there. Mm. And I just thought, no. Well, the fear gripped every single one of them in, in such a way. We talked about that in 2014 against Uruguay. This was off the scale. It was like it was supercharged. Version yeah. And I agree with you. And I think everything you said is absolutely spot on. And what I'd like to bring into the conversation is this idea that actually the fascinating thing about this, to mm. look at it dispassionately five years on, is that I find it astonishing and actually the best example of what it can mean mm to be an England player. Because that pressure has not come from Roy Hodgson, no. who by all accounts is a genial guy, very mild mannered fella. Mm-hmm. Um, he builds confidence. We talked about how, what he does in terms of mm-hmm. uh, routine and all the rest of it. And we, we talked about why perhaps he wasn't quite as successful. We haven't got to do that again. But the point is, they weren't frightened of Hodgson the same way they were... Um, Capello. Yeah, well, maybe not frightened of Capello, but just kind of resentful of him. Mm. It wasn't The pressure wasn't being compounded because of Roy Hodgson. Yeah. The pressure was coming mm-hmm. because every single one of those players mm. for 62 minutes or yeah. whatever, or 72 minutes maybe, yeah. I think it was 72 minutes actually, um, plus whatever the referee decided to add on for stoppages, <laughs> was thinking, we can't go home after this. No. How are we going to go home now? Yeah. This is this is this is the worst it's ever been, mm. and and even before it happened. Mm. So in many ways, the the emotions you're talking about processing during the game, they're also processing that. Uh, yeah, yeah absolutely. Players, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is an astonishing mm. example of the weight of what mm-hmm. it can mean and how quickly it can turn, mm-hmm. and why Southgate's work that's been done subsequently has been really important. And what I mean by that mm-hmm. is that if you look at the squad. In 2016, mm. five years later, a maximum of six of those players will feature this summer. Mm. A maximum. And that's only if Henderson's fit. Yep. Could be five. Yep. That's a big turnaround, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yep. In just five years. So um, you'd hope it's been flushed out by now and you'd hope it doesn't rear its head again. And I know, Mark, I think I'm right in saying that you probably think that this kind of thing couldn't happen again because of the way Southgate's been with the team. Um, or were you just scared to say that, though? I, I think it's less likely. Mm, which shows progression Mm. we want it to say you can't ever say it'll never happen again I think it's less likely and we will talk about why it's less likely in subsequent weeks of course as we now move into next week we'll go into the 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 Sam Allardyce slash Gareth Southgate era Sam Allardyce might be a whole (laughs) lot but you know what before we do that on the Iceland thing I do want to say because I think I know this is a show about England but it is really important to Mm -hmm. say it also showed us as football Mm -hmm. fans what can be achieved you haven't got to be a quote-unquote proper football man or mm-hmm. an old-school kind of person to say this. They played 4-4-2. Mm. They did all the basic things yeah. properly. Mm-hmm. They worked really hard for each other. Their mm-hmm. team spirit was off the scale. And for a team in a tournament, that can be enough. Yeah. Now, Iceland didn't win the Euros. They were battered by France mm-hmm. the next game. But they won for them, for their standards, that for their, their expectation. It was amazing. Right. And, and and that can be achieved. And England can achieve that. Mm. They well, can they, achieve that. And when I say that was their final, that's not me dismissing, going, oh, because they beat old grand old England. No, but they, they had they, they won a knockout game when they previously never qualified exactly. uh, for a tournament. So that's what I mean by that. And of course, after the match, Hodgson resigned. I mean, his contract, I believe, was up after. But the there was nowhere for him to go anyway. No, of course he not. He could have had a fucking Alan Pardew contract. <laughs> he still would have gone. <laughs> but he said... In, the, in that uh, press conference, he, he spoke about the young, hungry, talented players that he managed. And he said they were an excellent group who did everything that they were asked of and they were committed. They loved playing for England. And there was often talk in previous tournaments, oh, but you don't love playing for England. You know, Skull said that some players used England to get a move or, you know, th- th- be in the spotlight and so on. 
I just feel that this was where it was beginning to change. And this was obviously a damning result, but the players, they needed, they, they, they did love playing for England. And I think people believed that, but it was such a low point as well. Hmm. Um, and there was, there was so much wrapped up in this. And interestingly, Marcus Rashford was, was thrown on at the end of that game to try hmm. and sort of dig something out. And of course, it was to no avail. But it could have been a really good learning experience for him, though. Well, yes, he's still so young. But will you know? In previous tournaments, England players have been uh, tarnished and they've been scarred by their failure. Yeah, for sure. I wonder if I, I'm not sure that that's so much the case these days. And we'll talk about that next week and and in the subsequent mm. weeks about Southgate's era and so on and so forth. Yeah, I I I just don't. Oh, finally, very quick, I just want to say, I, I, I haven't, and who knows, look, Paul Scholes said what he said, I remember him saying it, mm-hmm. who knows why he said it, um, it could be all sorts of reasons, um, he, you know, he might have been sort of surreptitiously digging out a particular player or two that he doesn't particularly like. Mm-hmm. I've worked, and I know you have, we've worked with lots of, not lots, a good amount mm-hmm. of ex-England international players. Mm-hmm. Right? I have never once experienced any one of them uh, even off the record, mm. saying they didn't love playing for England. Yeah. I know, I can think of three ex-England players off the top of my head who I've had conversations with and they were instantly able to recall mm. who their debut was against, yeah, how yeah, many yeah. caps they got. Yeah, yeah. Ray Parler said to me, I had X amount of caps, um, but I was in 43 squads. Mm. He even remembered the squads he didn't get on in yeah. because he loved it so much. Yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. a different generation, fine. It's a different area, era we're talking about. I don't think I've seen the evidence, enough evidence to think that actually quote-unquote, players don't like playing for England in whatever period mm. is anything more than maybe just some tabloid nonsense. Really. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. But looking at that Iceland side, you say everyone does their jobs, done enough. Mm. That also goes in a weird way for the fans as well. If you can get the fans on side, yeah. you can build a sort of community and a feel-good factor. Yeah. That is vital as you well. You can get yourself a waistcoat. There you are. You'll be a man, my son. The world will be in motion. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening to Lions Watch. Uh, we'll be back next week with more news and discussion and a return to those 67 days under Big Sam. <laughs> love it. Absolutely love it. Pints of wine all around, everybody. From the shit to the shit. <laughs> See you next week. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the Acast Creative Network.